0: Hello, everyone. I'm Sally-Ann Kieser. Welcome to today's discussion. It's lovely to see that we've got a very full room, which I'm very pleased about. It's such a wonderfully delightful and important topic to be sharing with you today and exploring. Out and proud or still under wraps, is what we're asking today. And we're here to explore whether broadcasters are helping children self-identify, helping them to empathize with positive LGBT role models, Or are other digital platforms taking the lead in this area? We have um, lovely panelists here that I'll share with you in a minute. But we would like this to be a conversation. So Dan, our lovely producer, has asked me to share with you Slido.com. So during this discussion, please feel free to get your mobiles out. Uh, try not to text some mate or something like that, but go to slido.com stroke CMC and you can text us some messages or questions anonymously or otherwise. And at the end, we've left about 10 minutes so I can ask those questions to the panel or as well, we'll have a mic going around so you can actually ask questions on the mic as well. Um, So to start us off, I'm genuinely privileged to be here today with this wonderful panel who come from such experienced backgrounds, but I think importantly are such pioneers and are so passionate about sharing this area and discussing it. So I'm going to allow them to introduce themselves. Um, So first, let me welcome the wonderful Kez Marguerite. Hello, Hello, Kez.
1: Hello. Uh,
0: Please introduce yourself.
1: So I'm Kez Marguerite, commissioning editor at the BBC for children's content. Um, I've got a clip to show you today. So, I look after factual and fact content, things like the My Life series and Operation Ouch and Our School. For those that don't know, two Four Productions make Our School. It's now uh, just about to start filming in Cardiff, our fifth series. Uh, it's really, really popular and it's showing kids from year five and six that there's really nothing to be scared of when you go up to big school. Um, But what we also do with the series is we go back each year and catch up with the students that we filmed with the year before. And I wanted to show you this clip. I could have shown you any number of things from our content, actually, I'm very proud of. But this hasn't gone out yet. And last year we filmed at Firth Park Academy that is round the corner from here in Sheffield. And so I thought it was appropriate to show you this clip. And Roman was a really strong uh, personality in the series, and uh, he went to Kenya to, with the school, and so children really identified with him. When we went back to catch up with what was going on with the students, um, he said, I'd really like to tell my story. So, one clip then.
2: Back in year seven, Roman was pretty fearless. Let's
0: start off with a nice
3: '60s
4: fridge.
3: You're telling me? I won't let Mr. Shabir anywhere near
1: Maya. Go,
4: let's go, let's go. Yeah. Oh yes. Go, let's go, let's go. Yo, the hairstyle. For Roman, year
5: eight has been a life-changing experience.
4: This year has been like a really big change for me because I have um, come out as gay. Like, as a person, I'm really honest. Keeping something in, like, something that big, it was, like, really affecting me. So, I just wanted to get it out as quickly as possible because I wanted to be honest because that's what I am. There was, like, a really big, like, worry, like, what people think because I do care what people think and I don't care what people think. At first, I started telling, like, a few friends and then I saw a few more friends, and then like when I got cuffed in, like basically the whole school knew. I felt kind of proud of him. Like when he did it, I was like proud because he came out to other people, and he was not caring that it was if other people thought different things. So today, this lesson, we are going to look at identity. What makes us who we are as individuals? He's got that attitude. Like it's just like get over it. I'm gay. Forget about it. <laughs> You know what, I'm happy for him. I'm not one of those who's going to tease him about his sexuality. Mm. <laughs> I feel like our generation is a lot more understanding and supporting of people who want to be who they are. I feel more true to myself as a person, now that I've come out. It's like a weight of off your shoulders. You don't have to keep that secret in. Like, you don't have to act anymore. You don't have to pretend and stuff like that. So, nah, it's, it's really good, like, a good feeling.
0: Thank you, Kers. And now may I introduce David Levine.
6: Hi. Um, uh, good afternoon. Thanks for attending. I uh, hope you're having a great conference so far. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, so, um, my role is to oversee programming and production for the kids' channels across Europe, Middle East Africa, working for the Walt Disney Company. Um, And the Walt Disney Company has had an incredible tradition for over 90 years of telling great stories uh, with diverse and unique characters. And uh, over the last number of years, we've brought that diversity into the LGBT space, uh, particularly on uh, Disney Channel's and on Disney Channel's content. we had an opportunity to produce a, a show called The Lodge here in the U.K., and we had one of those characters uh, come out as gay. And when, when uh, he did, when the character came out, we get, had tweets like, One viewer said, the show is incredible, and identify with Josh. Another said, the fact that Josh's character is gay is so important. I can't describe how proud I am. And when you get feedback like that from the audience, it really makes all this worthwhile. Um, I'd love to show you a sizzle, which uh, just shows you a very quick sizzle of some of the different clips from the different shows that we've done, which focus on uh, LGBT storylines. So hit it.
7: can have a ride if it's okay with your moms.
6: Pretty, please? How can we say no to that? Okay, okay. <laughs> I
4: always kind of thought you guys would make a cute couple. <laughs> That's never gonna happen. She's not really my type. This guy's everyone's type. Girls aren't really my type. I mean, I love them as friends, obviously, but...
2: Oh, cool. Cyrus, do you like Andy? You like Jonah?
4: Puffy, I'm glad I told you. Me too.
7: Hi, Susan. Hi. (laughs) Amy, this is Taylor's other mom, Cheryl. Oh, hi. hi. This is my husband, Bob. Hey, nice to
5: meet you. Come on in, come on in. Taylor has two moms. Nothing gets past you, Bob.
0: <laughs> thank you, David. And now I introduce
7: the very special, Shabnam Razai. Oh, thank you, sally My name is Shabnam. Uh, my company is called Big Bad Boo Studios. We're based in New York and Vancouver. We're a small, independent animation studio creating original content. Um, I started the company 10 years ago with my husband. Um, I'm originally from Iran, and my one of my first shows um, had characters from around the world, and we aim to teach kids about different cultures. And so that motto has carried through the DNA of our company, where we try to include what what, what, we, what people call diverse content. And I always say there's a great quote in Seinfeld where... George turns to Jerry and says, you know, Chinese food in China is just called food, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it kind of feels to me like diverse content to me is just content. It's who we are. It's the DNA of, a, of the company. We try and hire writers and um, content creators that are telling their stories, and they just happen to be known as diverse in the world. So um, right now we're doing a show called Sixteen Hudson, which is our preschool show. Uh, where we have one of the main characters, Luke, who has two dads, and I think it's the first preschool show that has a main character um, in that manner um, in Canada being produced right now, so we're really proud of that. We have another show with Hulu called um, The Bravest Knight, where our protagonist, um, a a pumpkin farmer, marries a prince, and they live in a castle, and um, they have adopted a young girl named Nia who wants to grow up and be a knight like her father. So Um, We do flashbacks to Cedric as a young knight, and in that way we have a protagonist who is gay. And so that's a wonderful show that we're producing. I think I have a little clip from 16 Hudson that I wanted to show you.
0: Thank you, Shabnam. So now on to Ollie Pike, who I have only just met today, but I'm so excited to find out about the work that he's been doing. So, Ollie, tell us more. Hey, I'm Ollie, and
3: uh, I'm the creator of Pop and Ollie which is an LGBT plus educational resource for children, parents, carers, and teachers. And my videos and books are already being used in UK primary schools to teach about equality and diversity. So that's like kids from age four, like reception age, up until about 11. Uh, And ultimately, it's about teaching about diversity, but combating homo, bi, and transphobia.
0: Thank you, Ollie. And now on to Nick Marsh, who's coming from a very different space, so he's got lots of thoughts to share as well. Nick, tell us about yourself.
2: Hi, uh, I'm Nick. I'm the uh, head of product at a company called Wonderbly, And we make a uh, very special kind of books for young children uh, that are all personalised. And uh, I don't have an uh, exciting video, I'm afraid. I've got a slide with some numbers on. Um, <laughs> yeah. but <I> thought Which is <laughs> still really, really interesting, Nick.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Round of applause for Nick's slide, everybody, yeah, please. Thanks. Thank you.
2: So I just thought I'd, I'd introduce the, uh, one of our products a little bit, just to kind of, a, bit, a bit of context and hopefully provoke some discussion around the use of technology and storytelling. So this is a book that we uh, published last year called Letter for the Littlest Bear that lets you uh, write a letter to the newest member of your family, the littlest bear, uh, from all the bears in your family. Um, you can choose between three to eight bears and they're all kind of genderless bears that you can put in any order. Um, and so I had a look last week at the families that have been created in this book it's about 30,000 books we've sold so far. Um, there's 180,000 individual bears in all these books. And we found that people had sort of uh, come up with over 50,000 different ways to describe the people that are in their family. We did a bit of kind of uh, squishing of that data down into some standard relationship types, so kind of guessing what all the different names meant in terms of the relationship, whether it's a mum or a dad or a granny, grandpa, aunt, uncle, brother, sister. And we found that in that 30,000 books that have been made, there's over 2,000 unique family structures that that the customers have put together. Um, And that the most common structure that's that's created, which is uh, mum, dad, granny, grandpa, is less than 5% of all of the books that have been made. Um, and we, we sort of found classic long-tail distribution of uh, there's, there's about 50 family structures that make up about half the families that people want to represent to their kids. Uh, but there's, there's hundreds or well, thousands of other family structures, um, including uh, 844 totally unique family structures that we found only one, one person had put their, their family together like that. Um, and so I just think it kind of, you know, points interest interesting new direction for, for storytelling and representation that, you know, through technology, we can create, you know, very different kinds of families and, uh, and show kids very different, uh, different worlds. Um, and, you know, I guess that's a bit my challenge to the broadcasters uh, is to say, you know, uh, how could we bring some of the diversity that is, is you know, so clearly evident uh, in how people want to represent their, their, their uh, families to little kids uh, into, into other mediums.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Nick. And finally, last but definitely not least, (laughs) um, we have Josh Bradlow, who, well, let's speak for yourself, but such a wealth of knowledge and experience in this area. Welcome, Josh.
5: Thank you. Um, So I'm Josh Bradlow. I'm policy officer at Stonewall, which is Britain's largest LGBT charity. Um, We were set up 30 years ago in response to Section 28, which was a law which essentially forbid schools from teaching about homosexuality. And um, we were set up in response to that by Sir McKellen and others. Um, And as a result, a huge focus of our work has been around education. So going into schools of which we now work with over 1,200 across Britain um, to help them teach about different families at primary school in an LGBT inclusive way and also to train teachers to tackle anti-LGBT bullying. So I think there are huge opportunities in terms of broadcasting to to um, mirror some of the work that has been happening in schools, but also to progress that work um, to to really help all young people grow up feeling free and happy and safe to be themselves, but also accepting of other people who might be different to them.
0: Thank you, Josh. So let's get going. To begin with, let's start by looking at the emergence of digital platforms, um, which is one of the reasons why we're here today, Ollie, I'm looking at you because what I want to ask you is, has technology enabled digital platforms to offer representation, positive representation of LGBT to young people that broadcasters either can't or simply don't do, do you think?
3: Yes. Well, when I go into schools, okay, into the primary schools, We've got seven, eight, nine-year-olds who are obsessed with YouTube, which is great for me because they think I'm a rock star. Um, <laughs> but they are such a huge part of their world, um, which is an awesome thing, but it's also kind of a scary thing. In terms of YouTube on the whole, there are so many LGBT plus uh, role models in there, which is great for all of us because it means we all get to learn about the big rainbow that we all exist under. Um, however, I don't think that there are enough positive LGBT plus role models for younger children. Um, And YouTube is a bit of a rabbit hole. So what I've tried to do is create kind of a safe channel, which is LGBT plus inclusive, which children can watch and um, get to know different types of people. Um, Something that YouTube has done, which is really great, is produce YouTube kids. And that's kind of videos which have been um, checked to to see if they're age-appropriate. Um, so, that's... so you're
0: saying so you're saying that YouTube is leading the way, but actually even within that area, you feel there's more that needs to be done. There's yeah. not enough younger role models for younger children.
3: No, no, not at all. I think a big thing with LGBT is that we've unfairly been sexualised, <coughs> um, and that's not who we are. And I think it's really, imp- and I think the internet and particularly YouTube is leading the way in breaking down attitudes, which you know we've had negativ- negatively attached to us. Things like Section Twenty Eight. And I think the progress that we've seen in the past couple of years has been because of these role models that we've had on YouTube.
0: Mm -hmm. And Kez, from a broadcaster's point of view, um, how do you you feel about the digital platforms and and YouTube? Do do you think they're doing things that you as a broadcaster can't do? Or are unable to do?
1: I I think... um, I think it was really interesting what Michael Rosen said yesterday about appropriateness and we're all completely savvy about appropriateness um, within our content and that we all know that children are going to YouTube to look at content that isn't necessarily appropriate for them. I think that we as a children's broadcaster at the BBC um, do have certain um, things that we... Absolutely must do, and it would be really remiss of us if, whenever we were doing family um, content that featured families, that we weren't thinking about different sorts of families. And I think you'll find that across most of our content now. But in terms of the reason I wanted to show you that clip was because, in terms of of a platform where you as an LGBT person can control absolutely. Everything that you say, mm. YouTube is an amazing place for that, mm-hmm. and it has its pitfalls, but my goodness isn 't it brilliant that there is somewhere that you can own your identity mm. in that way, and I think you could criticize the, um, the clip that we showed in terms of oh he 's doing makeup well, that was exactly what he wanted to do, and he mm. would love to be a youtuber that shows you mm. how to do makeup but um yeah, so I, so I don't know even whether I've answered that question. I don't want to sound defensive about being a broadcaster because I always think that we could do more. Mm. But uh, I think it, it goes back to what you were saying about it's just content. And wouldn't it be a bit weird if we didn't reflect children in all the guises and show reflect the, the family makeups that they're in as well? I'll yeah, shut up. No, I know we're no, do no, no but I just <laughs> wondered,
0: even from David, you know, you're doing wonderful work at Disney, but do you ever look to the digital platforms on YouTube and do, do you in any way feel that they've led the way or do you think they're delivering content that maybe you couldn't go there with, with Disney as a big broadcaster and corporation as you are? Yeah. What's well, your relationship with the digital content? Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know what I mean, the, the YouTubers, etc.
6: Yeah, so we as Disney, we really focus on storytelling and we really focus on scripted content for uh, big channels that are distributed across the world uh, so we serve a very different function for kids and for parents and for younger kids in particular than YouTube so how we interact with the audience through social media for example the, the tweets that I shared earlier that's that's our way to be able to connect with kids it, through social media and and through YouTube so we you know operate in a different way mm-hmm. um, we think a very important way because we tell great stories uh, for kids and for families and to also be able to spark those conversations. Uh, between kids and families. Um, so that's, that's we feel we play a different role.
0: A different role and each can complement each other and absolutely. presumably learn from each other. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And, and Josh, can I just come to you more as an outsider looking mm. in, um, focusing again on the digital platforms? Sure. Uh, what are your thoughts on where we're at and how that's leading the way?
5: I think in terms of the research that we've done, we, we've seen that with digital platforms that is the the place where most young LGBT people are finding role models who they identify with. They're finding people whose lives reflect theirs. And in, for a lot of young people, it's a lifeline and it really helps them to understand themselves a lot better. And I remember in our research, Ollie's name actually came up repeatedly as one of the most common kind of role models cited um, by young people, <laughs> which is <laughs> Um, I, I guess... Can we have another round know, of applause for yeah. us?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
5: yeah. Sorry, Josh. Um, so, so I guess that there's huge positives in that respect. And then at the same time, of course, online, that does pre- there are challenges that are presented in terms of we know that anti-LGBT content is widespread. We know that Um, Anti-LGBT abuse um, is frequently targeted at LGBT young people. And so I think um, there's kind of, there there are some safeguarding elements there, um, which are very difficult, but at the same time, it is a lifeline in so many senses. And really, our priority as an organization is to help young people develop that kind of digital literacy so that they're able to navigate those challenges of the internet Mm. and actually make the most of, of the great content that's out there.
0: And whilst we're focusing on these platforms, Ollie, could you just share with us? Because I know that it's not been a straightforward journey with you. And one of the, the concerns that everyone has with YouTube is, is the moderation issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you've got lots of thoughts and experiences on that while we're talking about it. Can you, can you yeah. share some of those with us?
3: Uh, well, of course, uh, the positive always outweighs the bad. Um, but I've had a lot of negative experiences online with, you know, haters, as we like to call them. Um, some of the comments that I get on a daily basis. I think as you get bigger on YouTube, you're just open to all types of people and all types of ideas, so of course you're going to get opposing views, but some of it is just hatred and just trolling, and it went so far that I had to get the police involved because I was getting, like, death threats, It's being called a paedophile, brainwashing children. Um, it really makes you realise how, how scary a world it is, and it really actually, for a small amount of time, really reduced me, and... It was great because it made me realise the position that children are in when they're online. They can be so vulnerable. And I'm a pretty well-put-together duck guy, and it it took me to a really, really dark place. So it made me realise that we have got to safeguard children uh, in terms of YouTube, in terms of the internet. So Mm -hmm. that was the positive that came out of it.
0: Which is potentially where the broadcasters come in and we talk about having different roles. Um, I know... Shabnam, you deliver some amazing... Please recommend you're going to look at Shabnam's content. I mean, it's delightful. Um, How do you feel... We'll talk a bit more about the broadcasters, but how do you feel about delivering content to broadcasters then what Ollie's saying, the lack of moderation? You're working in a presumably safer space, delivering content to broadcasters. Yeah,
7: I mean, I'm fortunate enough to be working with um, TVO Kids and SRC Radio Canada and Knowledge Network in Canada, which are all very much supportive of the content that we do, and they also add in terms of the note-giving that they do to the scripts that we have. Um, In 16 Hudson, we're just trying to normalize these families. Uh, One happens to have two dads. One is half Indian, half Irish. The other one's Iranian, one's Chinese. And they all have different family structures. And for us, it's just a great show with good stories and good characters. Mm -hmm. And these other elements are in the background. Um, And sometimes our writers will go off and, you know, try to write a gay episode. And we're like, that's not the point of the show. Um, you know, and with, with Bravest Night, it's the same thing. Our experience with Hulu has been really, really positive. Right. They get it. They understand, you know, how to create good content. And I've had other experiences where the broadcasters don't get it. Mm. So it, it's it's the gamut right now. And so it's important to have leaders like Ollie kind of braving it out there. Um, that's so critical what you do. I mean I my heart just like Sinks when I hear that there's all this hate out there. And we, we've had a lot of hate mail and, you know, a lot of stories about people coming out and um, going against this type of content, saying it's going to ruin children and whatnot. And it's just not the case. It's just trying to educate, trying to provide content and curriculum that is very... Um, substantial and can go into the school systems. For Bravest Night, we're partnering with HRC, which is a huge organization in the U.S., human rights campaign, and they have a mailing list of like 2 million people, and they're really good at fighting this the, the hate. Mm-hmm. Um, we have lots of stories where there have been instances of hate, and they just, basically what they do is they turn it around and pour love on top of it, and it fuels even more yeah. love. <laughs> so great. the hater is kind of like, I shouldn't have done it, because now we've brought even more <laughs> attention to it. So, um for us, it's about educating right, yeah,
0: and David, can I ask you do you do you get complaints? do you get I mean, how do you manage yeah. it as a broadcaster whilst whilst we're sadly talking about the negative aspect of all? this? Yeah.
6: um you know there's there's been some negative feedback um throughout uh, when, when, when we've had all those different situations but it was it's been so dwarfed by all the overwhelming support and the accolades frankly um annie Mac won uh won, won award the, the the first ever glad uh, award in the u.s for kids content um we continue to get great feedback from the audiences uh, so, you know, we, we really don't, um, don't, don't wind up getting swayed by, by the, the negativity we see. And in terms of our social media and platforms, you know, it's very moderated and Disney is a very safe space. Um, so we, you know, we're, we really take care to make sure that anyone that's interacting with our brands and our stories ha- has a positive experience.
0: Brilliant. And before we move on to the broadcast side of it, just to wrap up sort of the digital platforms, can I glance this way and just ask you, you know, authenticity is bantered around a lot. And with YouTube, UGC, a lot of UGC content out there, um, do you feel that it has led the way when it comes to UGC content? It, do you feel, as we wrap up this digital platform section, that actually that authenticity it is being led by the digital platforms and, and by YouTube, looking this way? Yeah, we're like
3: we've like unlocked another level of diversity. We're hearing so many more stories from people all over the world. And we no long, longer have like the gatekeepers who decide what, what stories can be heard and what can be seen. And I think that's absolutely amazing. So yeah, I think we're, we are leading the way with it all.
0: And then onto the broadcasters, so again, looking at, at Kaz and David. So we've talked about the wonderfulness that you can have a safe space. So how do you approach it as a broadcaster? How have you approached LGBT from a holistic point of view? We can often hear tokenistic inclusion and the odd good programme and we're sharing wonderful programming here today. But actually, how do we take it a step further from a holistic perspective?
1: Well, i go first. So, yeah, I think that's really true. And we can win awards for our, our, our content and it just gets lost in a, in a pool of other stuff. In terms of CBBC and CBeebies, I think I touched on it before, in terms of our mission is to reflect kids' lives back at them, whether that be in our our scripted content or our factual content. And it gives us great stories. So um, for our younger audiences, it's about family makeup groups. And that's what we focus on in terms of creating LGBT stories there. But obviously, as they move up into CBBC, there's an acknowledgement that children are beginning to explore their own identity in a slightly different way and their own sexuality. And um, so, in our, our dramas, we reflect that. I think it's it's very different. I mean, I'm I'm more factual and facts than, than scripted. Um, and we have a very big duty of care to our to real kids like Roman. Um, you could argue perhaps it's too much, but we, you know, we, we, we psych-test them, we uh, get the psychology... We spoke to, to Roman and the psychologist and their parents and bef- before even going there with that story, just because I think we know what could happen as a result. And, mm. and um, it is our duty of carers broadcaster to do that. Um, so in terms of, of, of our, our mission, mm. could do better... Yes, we could. But the important thing is that we tell great stories and that we reflect all children's lives in the UK. So we can't do everything all the time. Mm. Um, But it is really important that we don't forget that um, there are lots of different sort of children living lots of different sorts of lives, as you were saying.
0: And when it comes to... I know, Kaz, you're CBBC, but when it Mm. comes to sort of CBeebies and the younger end of the audience... Um, and and Nick, I'll come to you in a minute, about family structures. Do you think Mm. we're doing enough, not the BBC, but generally as an industry about starting at a young age it's interesting I was talking to Ollie today and he says he goes in at the age of two I mean he said four but at the age of two Nick's going to talk about the different family structures oh are are we as an industry I'm not specifically talking about CBBs doing enough with the younger age group whilst we're on that I think
1: I think we could we could do more and there's been what you were saying Ollie about sort of sexualizing it to a degree and I think there's been a fear that oh well if it's about LGBT issues it's it's about sex and that's definitely the complaints that i get all the time is that you're you're doing stuff about sex um mm. <laughs> which is ridiculous um, but it's true but isn't it? It's, it, i think it's that absolutely does make true it, if and and that actually it goes back to who you get behind the camera who's writing your stories who are on your production teams who's in your makeup because the authenticity sorry to use such a handy word um is so key there because if it feels like you're banging over the, head, the message over the head, nobody's going to be interested anyway. And, and if you look at sort of Hey Dougie, that's phenomenal success that's burst onto CBeebies, just Mr. Crab and Mr. Crab.
0: I love is Mr. The, Crab and Mr. Crab. Totally, totally. Brilliant. And
1: it's just a great, they're great characters, they've got great stories. Um, and, and yeah, probably we all should do better. That's why we're here, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, God. Thank all you, Kaz.
3: Right. I think it's easier for me. No, because obviously, yeah, you have the responsibility to cover everything. But for me, as a gay man, obviously, LGBT is one of my passions. And I've got the opportunity to just home in on the LGBT issue, because I know that's what I'm good at. And that's why we work in the ways we do. YouTube's good.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but, but, Dave, but David, we've, we as a broadcaster, you know, we, we've got a wide reach. We can reach the whole of society. So, some might say that um, you know LGBT people will go and try and self self-identify with YouTube and with that, uh, but actually, the BBC Disney, we have an opportunity to reach the whole of society and create a societal shift. Do we not? And I'm presuming. Well, I know you take that responsibility really seriously. Yes,
6: a- absolutely. So uh, diversity has been a part of Disney Channel's DNA. Uh, for a long time um, in terms of uh, both from our content perspective, um, in terms of uh, representing boys and girls in really positive ways, and and over the past number of years, extending that to uh, the LGBT space uh, from a storyline perspective. And then from a company perspective as well, um, in terms of uh, making sure that we support the individuals uh, that work at the company, um, one of my other jobs is I'm I'm the uh, exec I'm the uh, executive sponsor of the of a group called Pride UK in Ireland, which is the LGBT resource group uh, for the Walt Disney Company based in, in in the UK. And so basically, our mission is to support um, LGBT employees and their allies, and and make sure that we have an inclusive um, environment at work, and also support the company in, in that area. Um, I just want to share a little bit. So. Um, uh, this is just a clip from last year's uh, Pride, just to give you a little taste of some of the things uh, that we've done. Uh, we marched last week at Dublin Pride. We'll march this week, uh, this upcoming weekend. And um, in addition to marching at Pride, we also do fundraising for a number of charities. Uh, but uh, here, here's a little bit of uh, Pride.
0: Well, not as the case may be. There you go. <laughs>
5: proud to be here. I was at the inaugural LA Pride event three years ago when we launched it there. So to be able to march in London with all of our uh, colleagues here is incredibly exciting for me.
1: For me, what's so amazing is being part of the Disney community and the Pride community and those two communities coming Mm -hmm. together. (laughs) I'm so excited to, to be taking part in my first Pride parade and overwhelmed that it's with Disney.
6: it's great that Disney supports everybody and allows everyone to come to work as their full self. And you don't have to worry about uh, what pronouns you use, and it's a safe environment, and everyone's able to contribute 100%. So if you would like one of our little rainbow pins to show your pride, uh, that you can grab one on your way out. So, uh, It's always a little Disney swag. Come
2: on. <laughs>
0: Thank you for that, David. So, Shabnam, I'd like to ask you that it, I, I'm so keen to celebrate the great work that's being done by, by all of us up here, but, but also I want to ask you what your experience is, because it's lovely that you're actually making content for younger children as well, but I know your experience has been mixed and I think we probably would all agree that we've got a long way to go and there's a lot more to be done in this area. What's your experience of pitching to broadcasters working with broadcasters?
7: Yeah, I mean I've had the gamut of experiences obviously on the good end are the broadcasters that are supporting what we do, but I pitch a lot on my shows as most producers here do and. Um, not, not too long ago, a few months back, I was, um, pitching to a very big broadcaster who's based in Asia and, um, going through my pitch book with 16 Hudson, introducing all the characters Our four main characters. I'm like, here's Lily and here's Sam and there's Amala and this is Luke and he has two dads. And the woman just shut the book in my face (laughs) during the pitch. Mm. She just shut it in my face and she goes we can't do this, <laughs> and just shoved it into my face. And um, that was pretty much the end of the meeting. Um, I, and I've been at this for 10 years. I have never, ever had anyone <laughs> shut a book in my face and not even you know, try and make nice and talk about the weather. She just got up and left. Um, You know, and I think it's a cultural thing. I think the West is obviously leading the way in um, things like uh, marriage equality and the laws that are being passed right now. Um, A lot of the rest of the world doesn't even have that yet. Um, Never mind the vocabulary to talk about it. I feel like in the West, we are trying to educate ourselves. We're trying to find the right vocabulary. Uh, Vocabulary to me is really important. Things like transgender, things like pronouns. Um, that we all understand what those things mean, that we use them correctly, that we teach our children to use them correctly, so that people feel respected and they feel like they can walk around with their dignity in, intact, um, you know. And so, in the East, you know, I'm from Iran. Uh, the president of Iran back six, seven years ago famously said about homosexuality: "We don't have this problem in Iran." You know, th- that's th- that's what you're dealing with. You're dealing with a lot of countries that don't even want to discuss it. So then the question is, you know, how do we get there? Yep. And um, it's a challenge, and I think... Uh, It puts more of a burden on the Western world, the content creators as well as the broadcasters, to take it very seriously and to really reflect. I mean, I love the statistics that Nick brought in because Mm -hmm. to me, I look around my world where I live and the families I interact with are literally the show that I've created. My nephew has two dads and he's three years old. And when he is four and turns on the telly, I want him to see a family with two dads so that he's like, oh, look. He also, Luke also has two dads. Mm. That needs to be normal for him. Yep. And they don't have any resources to read books to him right now. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a, a book I found in his in his room that was, you know, The Monkey That Has Lost His Mummy. And I'm like, Chef, why are you reading this book to him? Well, because there are no other resources, you know. So how do you deal with um, creating really great content, books, yeah. cartoons, resources for these families it's lacking and yes. if we're content creators we have to create them what do you uh, think then nick about this
2: yeah i mean i would just also add there's loads of uh, obviously really important political reasons to do all of these things but also just in terms of making money uh we find that the books with the broadest representation that have the the closest gender balance and so on in terms of bought for boys bought for girls we don't make any books that are you know for a particular gender but you do on some of the books uh, have to choose a gender the ones that have the the broadest appeal sell the most and the ones that have the you know the the uh, the widest representation sell the most so you know by not representing uh, broad you know sections of of society you're just missing out on opportunities to make money as well and you shared with us all
0: your wonderful different dyna- dynamics and family structures that you've come across do you feel that, that broadcasters are doing enough to represent all those different family structures that you're coming across in your work in in publishing <laughs>
2: I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not a TV specialist. I did a little bit of research before this panel, and there is obviously some promising changes and so on. I'm really excited about 16 Hudson it sounds. You know, that's... Uh really different. Most of what I've seen so far in terms of representation of families, it's, it's kind of on the side, it's side characters, it's maybe in the background and so on, whereas putting in front and centre is, is very exciting. Obviously, you know, broadcast is not a medium that's well suited for lots of variety and, uh, and, and lots of different kinds of representation, because, you know, you have to create one show and then everyone watches the same show. Um, you know, I would say that <laughs> <laughs> Helen's in the audience no I would say that, uh, who would like to
0: stand up and dance <laughs> Ruth you're a great dancer give us a jig
2: <laughs> yeah you know uh, there's, 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 al- there's, al- there's always more to do and it's, it's great to see these shows coming through where we have lead characters uh, from different backgrounds and um, and you know, not, not, not afraid to do that, I think it's great.
0: And Josh, before I come on mm. to education, can I just ask you, because you've got such a wealth of experience in this area, we all are permanently trying to do more. I say we, I'm not a broadcaster, but I, I know in the broadcast world we are. What's your reflection looking in from, from your side? How are we doing generically in the industry with mm. broadcast? What can we do better? Because we need to look at what we can do better in this area.
5: Sure. So I think that there are two components to it because it's kind of the, the internal processes. So in terms of workforces, um, your workplace policies, et cetera, um, broadcasters as a whole have come a long way, but there's still a long way to go to ensure that every LGBT employee feels able to be themselves at work. And then in terms of the, the second strand of that, which is the actual programming and the content which, which is being published externally, I think while there have been a growing number of positive examples that we've spoken about, um, I still think that those examples are notable rather than normal. They're an exception to the rule rather than a fabric, part of the fabric of all of the programming. Um, So I think while there has been positive changes, I think there's real opportunities to to mainstream it further and to make it part of the, the fabric of all programming.
0: And you gave a lovely school gate analogy yes. to me when we chatted before, will you <laughs> share that with...
5: Sure, so I was thinking about, because um, I know Kez was talking about this, this, the kind of fear that exists or the hesitation around, why, uh, around including LGBT characters in children's programming, and there, there's some fear sometimes about, is this appropriate, etc., are we going to get in trouble for this? And I was thinking about an analogy of the the fact that there are tens of thousands of children who grow up in families with same sex parents, and every day those same sex parents are going to the school gates to collect their child. And that's what all the other children see. And if you were a teacher in that situation, you would have no hesitation about those parents arriving at the school gate. It would be unthinkable to ask them to go around the corner to collect their child so that the other children didn't see them so if it's fine in everyday life and if that is the reality of children's lives then why is there this hesitation around reflecting that in our programming um so it's almost like a kind of challenge to to broadcasters to to really um do what Shavnam said and reflect the everyday reality of all of our lives
1: yeah thank Can you Josh. I come in as well because actually i think it's it's more than that because. We are in danger of being slightly in silos. And if you live in a big city, that is potentially the reality of your life. There in the UK, there are lots of people that do not necessarily go to the school gates Mm. and see two mums and two dads. And it is our duty as broadcasters Mm. to help their kids not be as prejudiced Mm. as potentially their parents are as well. So I think there's a sort of double remit Mm. for us as broadcasters. Absolutely. You probably agree that, that... is slightly different to the YouTube generation that is more about this is for you because I'm like you I think yep. really
0: which which, which is a real role that broadcasters yeah. play and actually yeah, that moves is. neatly onto education because that's another way obviously first and foremost that we can do this so Ollie sh- share with me your feelings about education in this area is, is educate I know you're in with your channel is education leading the way do you think
3: um Recently, it's getting a lot better. You know, we have the things like the, the Equality Act, uh, which ensures, you know, everyone has to be treated equally and fairly, uh, and that's in schools as well. And actually, things like Ofsted are looking to see if schools are LGBT plus friendly places. And um, I'm happy to say lots of the schools that I've I've gone into, they've got things like policies, which are very welcoming of people who have different sexual orientations or or different genders. Um, So things like that are really good. But I'd also just like to uh, talk about, um, you know, the statistics of school. And uh, thanks to Stonewall, we know that it's almost half of children who identify as LGBT are being bullied in Britain's schools. Um, I don't know the exact statistics, but some, like a lot, too many of them are self-arming. Some of them are even taking their own life. And that's why it has to... This type of education or entertainment has to come in to all aspects of children's lives, whether it's in their education or whether it's in their entertainment as well.
0: That's why it's such an important subject, and it's why next year I hope to be in the biggest cinema here at CMC. (laughs) 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 Um, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Um... Josh, please share with us, because you've done some wonderful and are doing ongoing wonderful work at Stonewall in this area of education, Mm. which is so key, and we've all got so much to I know we're separating here broadcasters and digital platforms and educational policies, but we're all in it together and we're all here to move forward and create Mm. a better society. So, Josh, tell us about the work in education that can perhaps help us and inform producers, but also Mm. what's what's happening at the moment.
5: Sure, so uh, over the last... 10 to 15 years, we as an organization have been working with thousands of schools across Britain. And a lot of that work has been around um, working in primary schools because we know from our research that half of primary school teachers have seen homophobic bullying take place within their schools. We know that terms like that's so gay or you're so gay are heard by the vast majority of young people in Britain's schools, so there really is work to be done. And it's not uh, a kind of nice to have to, to talk about LGBT issues at primary school, but it's actually essential because if we're going to help young people grow up with accepting attitudes, both of themselves and others, then we need to start young. And a lot of the work that we focused on has been around the theme of different families. So we've seen a lot of schools do phenomenal work around celebrating different families on Mother's and Father's Day, where they might separate, celebrate two mums or two dads or all sorts or the kind of person that's special to them. Um, And really making sure that in all of their teaching on relationships, that they're including same sex couples, that they're talking about family diversity in a way which is LGBT inclusive and actually helping um, primary school kids realize that a word like gay doesn't mean something bad or wrong, but it simply means someone who loves someone of the same gender to them. And, and so as Chapman said, like, having that vocabulary has been so incredibly important. Um, So that's the principal work that we've been doing. One really positive change, which is coming up very soon, is that the government is introducing compulsory relationships education in primary schools and compulsory relationships and sex education in secondary Mm. schools. And they've committed to ensuring that the guidance for doing that teaching is LGBT inclusive.
0: And is that in 2019, Josh?
5: Yeah, so it's going to be implemented in September 2019. And just to put it into perspective, the last time the guidance was updated was in 2000, which was 18 years ago, back when um, Section 28 was still in force, so you couldn't teach about LGBT. <clears throat> so there are teachers in 2018 who they are looking at the government guidance of, you know, what does good sex education look like? And there's no mention of LGBT whatsoever. So, I mean, that's a terrible situation, but there is a real positive opportunity there for progress.
0: So can I ask you, Josh, because I'm I'm looking at a Slido question that I've Mm. got in front of me here from someone anonymously, and they're saying, as a former teacher, it was hard to feel allowed to talk to kids Mm. about LGBT stories, as this was considered by some staff and parents as inappropriate. How do we tackle that? Mm. Are these government policies going to go some way towards that? Because that's presumably still a massive issue. We're talking about all the positives here, but how do we tackle this issue? What can we do to start tackling Mm. this?
5: Well, I I think we definitely know from our research that the shadow of Section 28 still looms very large. A lot of LGBT teachers in particular don't actually know if they're allowed to talk about their identity or to disclose who their partner is, because they're worried that they might get in trouble. Um, And that's because of the the kind of shadow of that legislation. Mm. I think in terms of what what the sector can do as a whole is actually in, in terms of broadcasting, there's such a massive opportunity to to kind of eat away at that stigma sure. that exists. Um, and it is what Ali said about the fact that LGBT issues have been sexualized and that there is um, this sense of, you know, a kind of whether we like it or not, whether we've done all the reading, whether we feel like we've um, we understand LGBT issues, there's still a thought in a lot of our heads that there is something age inappropriate in some way about LGBT issues. And actually, we need to challenge that thought and we need to transform our understanding so that we don't talk about age appropriateness when we talk about LGBT, but we actually talk about timely teaching mm-hmm. and that actually um, being a child that is they need that information if they're going to grow up being accepting of others and of themselves it's timely that that information is delivered to them and it's a necessity rather than a kind of nice add-on
3: yeah thank you um, something really good just sorry going back to when you were talking about sre and how that's going to be mandatory it's actually going to be opt-out unfortunately so that still means that uh parents can decide oh no my kid's not going to be in that lesson. Mm. However, which I think is really good, you can just sprinkle the, the LGBT <laughs> amongst the curriculum. So when like, teachers mm. are in English, they use one of my books, or they use uh, like another book, which is uh, diverse and includes LGBT plus characters. When you're in maths, the question is about, I don't know, Sheffield Pride. Like You can sprinkle it in amongst mm. the curriculum, and you can't opt out of maths, you can't opt out of English. So...
5: Yeah. And and the, in terms of the opt out, there, there's massive opportunities for schools to actually engage with parents to explain to them why it is so important mm. that all young people are being taught about relationships and at secondary school about sex mm. and why it's important to do that in an LGBT inclusive way. Because we know from the research that actually most parents don't have a problem with it at all. Mm. And they're very welcoming of it, provided they've been communicated with like that.
0: And when we're talking about in a timely manner, actually, Shabnam, can I ask you, as we're going to move on to questions here, you know, how do you feel, because we see lots of inspiring content um, with the olders, ol, old, older audience, but when it comes to the younger audience, which is which is who you're addressing with your content, do you think there is enough being done in that area? Because when it comes to preschoolers, we're talking about a timely manner. We're talking about how we can do it in a positive way and how it's mm-hmm. now being introduced into the education system. Yeah. How do we do this? Well, you're doing it as a broadcaster. Yeah. But, yeah. but what can we do? What needs to be done with the younger?
7: Well, I just think we need more content. We need to um, write more stories around families that are different, that may be structured differently, and just introduce it as that. I mean, whether it's a single parent or two mums or what have you. Um, or a combined family. I mean, these things need to be um, talked about and written about. What we try and do is we try and hire um, writers who are from these types of families so that our content is authentic to actual stories of people. And I think that broadcasters as well as production companies should look at um, what type of writers they have and what type, what type of people work on their shows. Um, for our Bravest Night, we made special... Um, paid special attention to make sure um, our voice cast is all from the community. So we have um, Jazz Jennings, who's do, doing a voice for us. She's transgender in the U.S. And um, we have people like T.R. Knight uh, playing the, um, the, the Knight He's a knight, and his name is knight. <laughs> um, uh, Wilson Cruz is doing the voice of the prince. Uh, we have RuPaul doing the big bad wolf. Um, and the big bad wolf happens to be a cross-dressing wolf. <laughs> so, you know, it's for us, it's it's sort of like an all-inclusive all, all inclusive 360 thing. And I think if more companies do that, then it can be real, and it can really reflect what goes on in society. Okay.
1: Can I Kay. just jump in as well? Because I think, I know on CBC we have really popular dramas and we could be in danger of siloing the issue a bit like you were saying about just only putting it here or there and that coming up in one of our major dramas is going to be a major story which I think will possibly reflect something around the World Cup, which is quite interesting. Okay,
0: Kez is glancing at the questions. We've got a few minutes left for questions. If we can get the mic going around while we get the mic ready. David, there's a question here, if you don't mind me asking me. Anonymous question. David, how do you reach preschoolers with this topic who may not be on social media?
6: I I think it goes to the timeliness. Um, You know, we we structure our stories for different age groups, and and I think... um, the, the the clip that we showed was the Doc McStuffins episode where for that so that's for preschoolers and throughout all of our preschool programming we have messages of diversity and inclusion um, and in that specifically where we showed you know family of two moms um, and you know I think that there's opportunities to do more of that sort of thing mm. um, but that's where we would ad- be uh, addressing that age group in terms of in terms of what's the right way um, to bring this kind of storyline and area to to that age group. Um, And then as we skew a little bit older, we have um, more opportunities to tell storylines that uh, go into it a bit further.
7: If I can just add to that, um, from a storytelling perspective, with 16 Hudson, we really had to think about it because it is a preschool show. We have two particular episodes that um, are about Luke having two dads. One of them is an episode where the kids... um, It's dad day in the park, and the kids are, like, racing, doing different races with their dads. And Lily... Um, is at the park, but her dad is not there because he had to work. So Luke is there with his two dads, and he notices that Lily's sad, and he's winning all the medals for all the races because he has two dads, and one of them can rest while the other one does the <laughs> race, and then the other so they switch off. But Lily's, like, in the corner without her dads. looks like, where's your, where's your dad? And he's like, oh, he had to work today. He's it like, it's Saturday. He's like, yeah, but he still had to, go, had to go to the office, which is the reality sometimes, right? So um, Luke is like, I know. You can borrow one of my dad's. Um, so that's what happens, and and it's sort of like taking the structure and making it positive, and and still talking about it and having it as um, center uh, to to the storyline. Mm. Uh, we have another episode that's about the adoption day where they adopted Luke in Canada. Um, how many of you are from Canada? Um, There's a couple of people that uh, went over to China and and adopted children from China. So there's this thing in Canada called Gotcha Day, which celebrates the day that the family united. And we wanted to do a Gotcha Day episode, but the terminology has some sort of negative connotation with it. So we changed it for our family to be called Huggle Day. Um, so Luke celebrates this day called Huggle Day, which is the day he's adopted, and the family became a unit. So we have a Huggle Day episode that talks about, you know, adoption, um, you know, having two dads, and it's all in a very positive way mm-hmm. for uh, small children. Yeah, That's and very in a popular. timely way, because
0: yeah. somebody is asking about whether broadcasters are doing things prematurely, but I think we've talked at length about doing it in a timely way.
6: And, and I think one of the things that uh, we certainly do as a broadcaster, and, and I would encourage you as producers to do is to tap into the resources available to you um, and reach out to organizations like Stonewall, Absolutely. like GLAD in the in, in the U.S. We we worked with um, GLAD uh, on on all the content that you saw up there. We worked with Stonewall for, for, for the lo- the lodge, and so I would encourage you to um, get guidance and get support in terms of um, incorporating these storylines into into your content.
0: Okay, brilliant. We've got time for just one question. Ooh. You look so excited about the question <laughs> that I'm going to allow it as Dan gets angry at the back of the... But go for it. On behalf of
4: everyone, fantastic panel. Thank um, you. I'm a kids TV writer. I am my sitcom, uh, family sitcom...
5: Way more dates. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, um, his, he, he doesn't have a coming out story like you do see in a lot of TV shows. He's out from the get-go, doesn't care, you know, doesn't even label himself. He, he dates guys, he dates girls. He doesn't really face obstacles uh, at all. And I'm just wondering, like Ollie was saying, you know, still 50% of LGBT kids are bullied at school. Um, do you think we're ready for that, for a character that can just be out without the hardships, you know, accepted by his family? Great question, Ollie. Mm-hmm. Over to um. you.
3: What I like to do with my stories is, is something similar, and it's like the LGBT isn't the point of the story. The story's about something else. They yes. just happen to be gay or trans or, or whatever. So in one aspect, that's great. But then there's actually a, a cartoon which I really love called Steven Universe uh, on Cartoon Network. And I think Cartoon Network is actually really great for progressive cartoons. Um, and they have like, these little gem characters that are supposedly female, uh, and some of them are like in relationships and stuff. And actually, what I think is really great about that cartoon is that this couple, you see them, like, kissing and, like, being affectionate with each other, but then they also have arguments, and they also do stuff that we do. And I think it's just as important to, ref- again, reflect real life in, in, in characters. So I think perhaps it is important to... You don't necessarily have to talk about the, the coming-out story, but perhaps pre- uh, address other issues that he might face or or someone that age might face. It doesn't even have to be an LGBTI
0: We could talk about this for for hours so just (laughs) very (laughs) briefly because we're running out of time and I'm (laughs) being waved at. Could we just have a tiny, tiny nugget from each of you as to what would you like this audience to take home? What what message can we give everyone?
1: Be brave. Don't self-censor. I think that's all within us to do that and give opportunities to writers, producers from the community to... um, so that you have an authentic voice and trust, trust
0: them. Thank you, Kez. David?
6: We all want to see a little bit of ourselves reflected back at us, and that's our job, to be able to do that for all kids.
7: Thank you. Shabnam? I want this panel to be center stage next year.
0: Holly.
3: <laughs> um, I'll leave you with my favorite quote, Neil Gaiman. Fairy tales are more than true, not because they tell us that dragons exist, but because they tell us that dragons can be beaten. So let's beat some together.
2: Nick? I mean, I just encourage everyone to to look beyond broadcast uh, at at other formats as well and and the ways in which new technologies can help us to tell stories that are very, very different uh, from the things that we do today. And Josh?
5: Um, I would just mirror what Kez said about being brave um, and the fact that you know, that there is some discomfort and fear there, but actually it's best to engage with that and to really um, be brave about your programming because it makes such an impact to the lives of young people with LGBT parents or who themselves come to identify as LGBT. So I think it's incredibly important um, to be brave. And as a sector within the LGBT sector, we're very keen to work alongside broadcasters and provide any support we can. So just get in touch, basically.
0: Thank you so much. We could go on forever. I've got to read you a quick announcement before we're going to leave you with a lovely clip just for food for thought before you leave. If you want to ask our speakers any questions, please go to the showroom bar or cafe or hub space mm-hmm. across the road where tea and coffee are available. Coming up next here in Cinema 2 is The Internet Really Broken at 2.10pm. Before you go, thank you. One final round of applause which with wonderful, wonderful panel. <laughs> To the amazing Don Jolly, Jolly, my producer at the back, and finally, please don't leave before this lovely little clip, which I hope inspires you to go and do so, wonderful work out Alf, there.
4: The reason for this video is that I wanted to have a, a conversation with you.
3: What
4: is it? A, a talk, a chat. How do you think about love? Do you think boy, girl, marriage, baby? So if you're a so, if you're a, a mum and you want to be in love with a dad, you get in love with them. So, you know Lottie and Shane? Yeah? They're in love. Have you noticed that I haven't got a girlfriend?
3: Yeah, because if you've gone to school and you're in, in love with them, you can actually get married.
4: So, how would it make you feel if I married a man?
3: If you marry a man it's going to be so cool because I saw it in one movie and in one movie a man was in love with another man and and then everyone was saying cool in that video cool 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 (laughs)